G'day leaders. In this podcast, it's a bit different. Michelle interviews me about the topic of memory. So we're going to learn how the memory works, why I got into teaching memory, why my company is called New Memory, um, how to improve it, why we need to improve it, why memories aren't accurate, and a whole heap of uh, boring science. No, it's not boring. But we learn about how the memory works, and uh, Michelle did a great job of extracting from me everything I know about memory. Hope you enjoy. Cheers. Why did it count backwards? I know that we're now recording. <laughs> what? Hello, Captain. Oh, what do I? <laughs> Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly. <laughs> what are we going to talk about? I don't know. So leadership, life, and everything else. Yeah. And we're live. No, we're still recording. <laughs> hey, Michelle. Hi, guys. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing real good. Good. <laughs> uh, in today's episode, yep. I was thinking we'd do a bit of um, deep diving into why new memory. So, your business yep. is New Memory Australia mm -hmm. and you do training yes. and you do keynotes mm -hmm. And coaching and mentoring. Yeah. And so I'm curious as to why the name New Memory. Okay. Um, so New Memory is a combination of two words, new and memory. New is Newman, my surname. Right. And memory is the very first thing I ever taught as a professional development trainer. So before that, I taught IT. Uh, as you know, I'm a nerd. Uh, but I was very fascinated in uh, memory and improving your memory because I thought I had a terrible one. I, I had a shocking memory for names. I had trouble remembering people's names, and I just basically thought I had a bad memory. And it turns out I didn't. I had an untrained memory. And so the very first course I ever taught um, was because I was learning how to improve my memory and... Then I taught it because I think that's the best way to learn anything is to teach it to other people. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then just got fascinated in the subject. And then when I started my own company, I, I called it New Memory. Yeah. Mm. So how did you learn how to have a good memory? I know you were teaching it, yep. which is uh, when I was, you know, I just learned to fly. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you do is then become an instructor. There's a, a way to build hours and instructing is one of the ways that I did it, mm. which is silly that somebody who's just learned is then training others to learn. I but find it, that funny. That's it, hilarious. That's right. But it was a great way for me to learn beyond passing the check, the flight test, yeah. because I needed to have a, a better understanding in order to teach it. Mm. But how did you learn to improve your memory? Okay. So, um, I got interested in it. I think I watched an infomercial at one stage about somebody oh. who was selling this program about how to improve your memory. And Between that ad blaster and that's the it. Yeah, I've got, yep. I didn't. Have, I never had a six pack, but <laughs> I had a good memory because I bought that program. Um, so I bought this program. It was a tape program back when we had cassette tapes a long time ago, and I listened to it, and it did work a little bit. It did worked well, but the guy never taught the background to it, why the techniques were working or anything like that. And it turns out later on that he just rabbited it on somebody else's learning and claimed it as his own and his own system. But I then started to study it. So I 
found every book I could get my hands on, any any learning program that was out there, and I just read everything I could. And I found out that the very first memory technique that was ever invented was invented in around 400 BC by a Greek lyric poet called Simonides. And so when I started to research and look into the memory techniques, I found out that they're all based on the same thing. They're based on two things. Basically, they're based on a location for the memory. So putting the memory somewhere that you can find it easily. Mm -hmm. I'll talk more about that later if you like. And then um, I found out that every human being has what's called perfect visual memory, not photographic, but perfect visual memory. So every memory technique ever invented since 400 BC is based on two things, location or loci in Latin and visualization, so pictures and, and, uh, and things that you can see because we've got what's called a three-second echoic memory. Have you ever met somebody, shook their hand and forgot forgot their name within three seconds? Absolutely. I feel like Dory from uh, Finding <laughs> We're Nemo. all Dory yeah. when it comes to our our listening, our echoic memory, because we, we can hear a sound and forget it within three seconds unless we take that sound out of our echoic memory and bring it into our short-term working memory and then turn it into something, so put it into context, make it a picture or something that we can actually remember. So, so I learned... When I was studying memory, it, that I didn't have a bad memory, I had an untrained memory, and I find this quite amazing that even at school we weren't taught how to use our memory. So we put kids into exams and we test them on what they can remember. Well, it was rote, rote learning. Yeah, yeah, that's how we got it into our heads in the first place. But mm. so we we put them into an exam and we and we test them on their memory, but we were never taught how to use our memory. I, I think that's quite ridiculous that since 400 BC we've had these memory techniques so you could give me a list of a thousand things and I could re re report them back to you mm. so I trained my memory to do that it's, a, it's it was a major system developed in the 1700s and I, I do it in, in classes I've, I'm I've gonna... been a witness to that in yeah. a, a couple of your so workshops I only got up to 20 in the workshops just yeah. because otherwise 700 800 2000 things would just take forever um, and it would take a lot of my mental uh, energy but it's it's very very easy to remember large amounts of data if you know the techniques and so we've had these techniques for centuries since 400 BC and there's other techniques invented through the centuries but we still don't teach it in schools I find this quite amazing so mm. yeah I got really fascinated in memory, how the memory works. I got into the science of it and, and I read every book I could get my hands on. And there was basically two authors that are uh, very prolific. The first guy is a guy called Tony Buzan. Tony Buzan wrote many, many books on the brain and memory. And so I read all his books and, and uh, he was the one that really introduced me to all of the techniques that are out there. And then the eight, I think he might have won more uh, world memory championships by now. So there's a guy called Dominic O'Brien, who was the world memory champion. He, he's won all of the, the memory arts. I think that's, they call them memory arts, where they go off and they, they compete against each other uh, on memory techniques. What they can remember. Yeah, yeah. So remembering <laughs> decks of cards or pi to how many digits. And it, it would be the most boring not competition that, to go and watch. Not that game you play in the car with the kids. On the way to the shops, I, oh, I yeah, went yeah, to the yeah, shops yeah. and I bought a banana. I they, they and I bought a, a banana and an apple. And like, yeah. <laughs> I think they play more sophisticated <laughs> games. But I think it would be the most boring Olympia that there is to watch people just sitting there concentrating and trying to remember stuff. But, um, yeah, so I got really fascinated with it and I started to teach it and teach um, how the memory works. Ah, awesome. So, okay, you learnt how the memory works. Yep. How does the memory work? Okay. <laughs> All right. So 
We have a, uh, I think it's kind of shaped like a peanut, maybe a little bit elongated, um, a little thing called the hippocampus. There's two of them in, on either side of their brain in the in left and right hemispheres called the hippocampi. And it's essentially the librarian of the brain. So its job is to pay attention to information. The very first question it asks is, is this information important? If the answer is yes, we pay attention to that information. So imagine that information is coming into your brain through one of your five senses and the hippocampus goes, hey, is this important? If the answer to that question is yes, it then pays attention to it. Uh, and so when it pays attention to it, what it's then got to do, it's got to put it into context so that it can store it in the appropriate part of the library. Ah, so I'm, I'm just, I'm going to interrupt you yeah, please. briefly. So those exercises that you do in training where, not you do, but I have been in training mm-hmm. where they say, okay, count how many basketball, how many, um, you know, oh, the white team and the black team, yeah, throwing basketball and then to each other. and then there's a gorilla that goes in the background, and, you and don't it's see like, the gorilla. Who's, yeah, because you're concentrating, you're you've already determined what the important information is, That's so it. then you disregard everything else. Yeah, so there's only so much information we can pay attention to at once. We're, our brain is being bombarded with billions of bits of information every second, mm. and so we pay attention to that which we deem to be important. And so when we pay attention to it, our hippocampus now needs to put it into context so that it can store in the appropriate part of the brain. Um, And so it's a librarian. Uh, It's essentially encoding the information that's coming in and so then it's it's filing it away in the memory. And and it actually does most of its work when we sleep. So when we go to sleep, this is why sleep is so important, especially if you're studying for exams or whatever. So when you go to sleep, your brain does more work when you're asleep than when you're awake. What it's doing, it's filing away all of those memories as a permanent memory. I've read that there's a a theory, I don't know if this is true or not, that when you dream, a lot of that is encoding memories. Mm. Mm. Yeah, actually... uh I do know, and I used to do a lot of this when I'd study. Hmm. So I break it down to just a number of points. You know, you you uh, write everything you know, and then break it down to less and less and less. So there are key words, yep. and then I'd go to sleep. And <laughs> so then I that's did. I'd, I'd stop. That's yeah. right. I'd, I would stop studying and go and do something. Go for a run. Go swimming. Go to sleep. Listen yep. to music. Whatever. And then the next day, I, my recall was amazing. Yeah. But if I stayed up all night, you know, eating coffee grounds. Eating coffee. <laughs> coffee grounds. Oh, at uni, oh, wow. I, I know I used Chewing to. Chewing coffee beans. I, wow. I did because yeah. I was thinking, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to do this because I had this. more in. That's it. I had mm. this belief that the more times I read it or the closer to the exam that I read it, mm. my memory of it would be fresher Doesn't and work. better. No. Doesn't work. No, <laughs> no. Not. Cramming lots of information in your brain, not giving your brain a chance to rest, digest, and then store mm. doesn't work. And the actual optimal number, what you should do is you should study for 20 minutes, mm-hmm. go away for 10 minutes doing nothing, doing nothing, like just relax. You know, go not on. hanging out the washing. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. no, hanging out the washing. Beautiful. Doing that. <laughs> Something that doesn't require a lot of thinking. Yeah. And then come back, review what you studied in the last 20 minutes, uh, review it for five, ten minutes, and then repeat that for another thing. So 20 minutes, 10 minutes off, review, 20 minutes. That's the optimal for learning. So if you've got kids studying, the best thing to do is get them to study for 20 minutes, stop, stand up, go do something, go for a walk, you know, go and throw a basketball, come back, review what they study in that 20 minutes, then do it again. Or do it, do it a couple of times, have a sleep, then come back and review it. Because your brain does need to repeat things to remember it, 
but you cannot cram, 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 cram. Or rote. Yeah. And rote learning. It, it, rote learning does work to five a certain extent. Five lines of five, yeah. five, two, Like yep. all of that pattern and rhythm of, of yeah. when we sang our times tables. That actually works, but that's repetition until it's hardwired into the brain. Do you still, with the alphabet, mm. sing it? From Sesame Street? A, B, C, D. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, and well, rhyme and rhythm are very, very strong components of memory, absolutely. Mm. And so that, that's that's another technique uh, that, that we use with young children, but then we don't use with older children because we think, oh, we can't use rhyme and rhythm when we're in high school. We can't sit there and sing, you know, E equals MC squared. <laughs> It'd be silly, wouldn't it? Or you'd feel silly anyway. But, yeah, I still find it amazing that a lot of the techniques uh, for remembering things aren't taught in schools. How do we, like, like if you can give us a quick, how can we improve our memory? Yeah, yeah. Okay, step one. Step one, this is the most vital thing. And I've said this in another podcast. You cannot say to people, I have a bad memory. Yeah. Because what you're doing is you're programming your subconscious mind. We spoke about this in a podcast a couple of, a couple of podcasts ago. So if you say to somebody, I'm bad at remembering names or I'm terrible at remembering dates or whatever it is, whatever you label as a skill that you don't have, you're creating uh, an internal belief system, a record in your robot, in your subconscious mind. So the next time you meet somebody, you shake their hand, you say, g'day, Michael. And then right then your brain goes, Michael, what's Michael? Michael's a name. What do we know about names? We're not good at names. Oh, I forget about Michael. So within three seconds, you've forgotten the name because your brain has been programmed to not remember Michael. So the very first step in becoming better at remembering anything is to say that you don't have don't say that you've got a bad memory, say mm. that you've got an untrained memory and yeah. that it's going to get better the more you practice it and the more techniques that you use. And then you just start to learn techniques. So there's some very, very powerful techniques that people can use to remember names, to remember shopping lists, to remember things, to, to study. Um, so I'll give you the quickest and easiest one. Yeah. If you want to remember, uh, let's say, people's names, it's a four-step process. Okay. So uh, actually, can I go back in time and just tell you why I had a bad memory yep. for names? I was a shy, sensitive, insecure little silk. I've said that many times in this podcast. Uh, and being shy, you often keep your head down. Yep. Your chin is down. So you're not looking up. And when you're not looking up, you're not looking at faces. When you're not looking at faces, you don't see faces. When you don't see faces, you can't remember faces. So even if you hear somebody's name, if you don't have a face to attach it to, how can you possibly remember the name? So mm. I, I was very shy. I didn't pay a lot of attention to people's names because I wasn't really looking up a lot. Um, that was the start of it. I think also the fact that I didn't think I had a good memory so that was an internal belief system i and i had a fear i had a real big fear i had a couple of events happen to me when i was young where i used somebody's name it wasn't their name they laughed and i got very embarrassed in front of a group of adults and so that's the last time i used people's names for a long long time so i had a massive phobia about it um and I avoided people's, using people's names and one of my biggest fears was uh, introducing two friends to each other that I knew really well. So two friends that didn't know each other, but I knew them very well. I might've known them my whole life. Introducing them to each other would cause massive fear in me, just in case I forgot one of their names, even though I knew them forever. So you know how you're saying that you've used, called somebody by their incorrect name. Yeah. For five years, I lived next to somebody Yeah. and I called them Greg. Oh, and, and their name was, Greg. no, no, it was Gary. But so it was kind of it was kind of the same. But they they didn't they didn't correct, correct me. It. 
And oh, so no. oh, I even wrote cards to oh. them. Hey, Greg, kid. happy birthday, Greg. I introduced Thanks for taking them. my bins out, Greg. <laughs> I introduced them to oh, other friends. Oh, wow, that's sad that they didn't have the confidence to say, hey, that's not my name. I know. They were, they were being so polite to you. They were. Oh, but that would have been much better if they early on they just said, hey, it's actually Greg. <laughs> or, no, sorry, what was their actual name? <laughs> I've forgotten already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's my sad. So yeah, yeah. yeah oh was, wow. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I interrupted. That's okay. That's so. okay. Not at all. <laughs> um, so all right. So I didn't have a bad. I didn't have a good memory for names, and then, but then I learned a technique. It's a very simple technique. Okay, it's a four stage process, right? It's yes. called see, hear, convert, attach. Right. Yep. So you firstly got to start looking at people. You've got to be a student of people's faces. So if you want to remember people's names, become a student of people's faces. So notice somebody's eyes. Notice the shape of their mouth. Their cheeks their earlobes just just notice how we're all different and we are all different so just spend time don't be a creep looking and staring at people but <laughs> but just notice how faces are different like people have got beautiful noses or they've got different shaped eyes yes you know, just see the person because and try and find a, a feature of their face that stands out the, the feature of their face that stands out is where your eyes are going to go to the next time you see them so if they've got this gorgeous eyebrow or this beautiful eye or one this, eyebrow yeah, one eyebrow yes <laughs> I, they have one eyebrow <laughs> my one, eyebrow one long brow across going across the top i've had friends with i, I just have a bit of a no Anyway, so just notice a part of their face that stands out or the features that stand out, whether they've got beautiful eyes, they've got great cheekbones or they've got, you know, a longer nose than normal or the chin's quite pointy, whatever it is. Just, mm. just start to really see people. Notice what stands out about the person because that's where your eyes can be drawn to the next time you see them. The, the next step, so see, hear, convert, attach. Hear. You've got to actually hear the name because if you believe you can't remember names, you're not even going to pay attention to the name. No. So if somebody says their name to you, really pay attention to it. So if they say, my name's Mark, just really pay attention to the name because you so, need... So what if mm. you miss the name? So ask, they say, ask. hi, my name's Mark. And, <laughs> and especially if they're from a culture where they, they say their first and second names together and they say it really quickly, mm. I always say, can you say that again? Slowly, I didn't catch your name. But what if in, in, then you don't get it? Like uh, no, time. no, you just keep asking. You say, sorry, didn't get it. Can you say your first name really slowly for me can you spell it yeah yeah absolutely i've, I've done that i've done that and, and i do that in my classes I, I remember meeting a shalani okay so shalani is not a common name here in australia a lovely lady beautiful lady and i said to her what's your name she said shalani but she said it really quickly so i asked her to slow it down and the reason why i was getting it to, her to slow it down is because i needed to be able to capture that to turn it into something that i could remember um and when, when she said her name, I said, oh, can you say that again? Because I needed to really have a chance to remember something that I've never heard before. If you've heard it before, Mark, you're mm. gonna rem you're gonna, it's going to be easy to remember. But it's an, if it's un an unusual name or a name that they've said so quickly, you, you couldn't pronounce it again. Just ask them to say it again. Nobody minds you asking their name again mm. and just say, hey, do you mind saying that again? It's, um, I didn't catch your name the first time. And what you're doing is you're actually paying attention to them. You're showing interest in them. So don't let somebody just throw – and a lot of shy people throw their name out really quickly. Mm. Yeah, because – mumble. Yeah, yeah, they don't think that they're important. But show them that they are important. So see their face, hear their name, and do not leave that second stage until you've got the name. The, the next step is convert. We do not remember, we do not remember um, sounds. 
we've got a three second echoic memory. We'll yeah. remember sounds for three seconds. You've got to convert the name into something that you can remember. And as I said before, we all have perfect visual memory, not photographic, but perfect visual memory. You will remember stuff that you see. So you've got to now turn that name into a picture. And so what I've done over the years, I've built a database of pictures. So every single mark that I meet, I just put a mark on their face. Every, <laughs> <laughs> every single Nick has nicked himself shaving. I'm sorry, but Nicole also has. So <laughs> Nick and Nicole have nicked themselves shaving. Um, so Adam, he gets a fig leaf. So does Eve. You know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so I've created a picture yeah. for every name, and so the way I did it is whatever whatever picture comes to mind when you hear that name, just use that picture. For example, once I heard somebody say James, and I didn't have a picture for James, so I thought, oh, oh what picture? What picture? And I immediately thought of them wearing a bow tie, and I have no idea why. It may be James Bond, the character he, yeah, he would wear a bow tie, okay. or, yep. but I, as soon as I met a James, I just put a bow tie on them. And for that, for that, so I just trust my memory. Yep. My memory will, if I see a bow tie, I immediately think James. That's that's it. That's my picture for James. But uh, for a, for example, with Steve, I use a stove, Steve stove, because it sounds like the name. So if I see, a, if I met a Steve, I just put his hair on fire. Right. <laughs> so um, what you're doing is you're basically creating a database of pictures for names. And if you don't have a picture in that moment, create one. Hmm. Anne is Anna Green Gables. Yeah. Um, who else? Oh, anyway, I've got lots of them, lots of them. Alison is a lesson. Ah, right? okay. So um, I met an Alison who was a world um, windsurfer champion. And so every time I meet an Alison, I just see a windsurfer giving me a windsurfing lesson. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. So you're converting the name into a picture because you remember pictures. But now the final thing is you need to attach the picture to the person. Mm. And so you attach the picture to a feature on the person that you will notice next time you see them. So if they've got beautiful eyes, attach it to their eyes. If they've got a, a beauty spot on their cheek, attach it to their beauty, beauty spot or, or whatever. And so if you do that quickly, and it doesn't, excuse me, I'm just coming. If you do that quickly, just see, here attach, convert. Sorry, he, see, here convert, attach. Um, in that order, you'll find remembering names much, much easier. It's also, it also becomes fun. Mm. Like, you know how you were saying how um, in the, the first part, why, you know, f one of the first steps is that you don't say, I have a bad memory yeah, or yeah, I'm yeah. really bad with names yeah. or bad with faces or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Why do we need to improve it though? Because that that's kind of a great excuse. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> use it as an excuse, but it's a lazy excuse. Oh, I've got a terrible memory for names. Sorry, can you just repeat your name? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we all know it's, it's, it's a common thing, and so we show empathy for people who forget names, but why should we do it? Well, because human beings like to be remembered. We like to be important. We like to be validated by somebody's memory. If somebody walks up and says, hey, aren't you Michelle? Didn't we meet blah, blah, blah? You immediately feel good. You do. You feel noticed. You feel important. You, you feel important. Yes. Yeah. And if you're a salesperson, if you're a leader, one of the best leaders I've ever met, they, oh, I, I, this, I love this story. So I worked at the Australian Institute of Sport, uh, at the Australian Sports Commission. I worked on the help desk. I was a nerd. I looked after the IT. I remember walking out of the room one day. I've got the help desk phone, the, one of the original mobile phones, and I'm running out of the building. 
And this gentleman was walking into the building, being being shown around the Australian Institute of Sport, the Australian Sports Commission, and um, the, the the gentleman um, stopped me and said, "Hey, guy, this is John. He's our new director, John Boltby. His name was, and uh, so he's the new director of the Australian Sports Commission." And I said, "John, nice to meet you." He said, Guy, what do you do? I said, I'm on the help desk, John, um, and I'm running off to help somebody now. Um, lovely to meet you. And I, and I went up on to help somebody. Anyway, a couple of days later, I'm walking past him. He goes, Guy, how are you going? How's the help desk? He remembered me. Yep. But he didn't just remember me. He met probably two, three, four hundred people on that day, and he remembered all of them. Wow. And I, I spoke to him um, about his prodigious memory and he said, oh yeah, it's just something that I was told is really important. And so he's practiced it he, and he, prodigious memory mm. and um, a very personable, personable bloke as well. So yeah, if you're a leader, spend time practicing remembering people's names. It makes, especially if you're a senior leader in a large organization, it's not hard to do, mm. yeah? Just spend time learning people's names and stop saying that you're bad at it because you can become a really influential person if you remember people and if you can remember details about the person. So if you want to remember people's names and details about them, just create visual stories. So if you meet, um, let's say we meet a, a beautiful lady called Michelle and we know that she's a pilot, what you do is you put a lever plane on her shoulder so next time you see it, you look at the plane and you go, ah, oh, she's a pilot. And then she tells you that she's got twins. So imagine that she's holding twins and they're running around her legs and just see that happening when you see her. And, and then she says, oh, but I've got an older son and he's six foot seven. So you imagine this, 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 this young man standing next to her who's like looking down on her because he's six foot seven. And so you see that picture, you see all of those pictures and you're going to remember that next time you see them. And that's how you remember details. So context yeah. then would be very important context is, or, is, or could help you as yes, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Context is vital. And that, that's essentially what memory is all about. It's all about context mm. and storage. So if I said to you this, if I said, um, I'll use the example I use in the training all of the time, uh, it was a toxic waste dump. You're going, what? What, <laughs> huh? what do you mean? But now if I did this, right? Hey, Michelle, what was the big event that happened in Sydney in the year 2000? The Olympics. And um, where did we hold the Olympics, Michelle? Sydney. Whereabouts in Sydney? Homebush. And what was Homebush before it was an Olympic village? No idea. Well, it was two things. It was a swamp and it was a toxic waste dump. In fact, it was one of the most toxic parts of Australia, toxic lands in Australia. We built and held the most successful Olympics of all time on a toxic waste dump. Go Aussie! Yay! <laughs> but see now how... France what has I... something to live up to. Yes, they do. But <laughs> they've got the Arc de Triomphe. Anyway, um, but now in 20 years' time when you're sitting at the pub doing pub trivia and somebody yells out, hey, what was uh, Homebush before it was the Olympic Village? You're going to go, hey, it was a toxic waste dump. And that's going to be in your brain mm. because what I asked you to do is to go into your brain and open up the files. I said, uh, what was the big event that happened in the, years, in the year 2000 in Sydney? And so you opened up the Sydney drawer and then you opened up the year folder and you found the 2000 folder and you opened it up and you mm. then looked for the subfolder that said events. So you opened that up, events, <gasps> Olympic Games. And 
then now you're holding the Olympic Games file. And then I said, okay, and so where did we hold the Olympic Games? And now you're rifling through the Olympic file going, location, and then you pull that out, and it says Homebush. And now I said, oh, so what was Homebush before it was an Olympic Village? And you're rifling through the Homebush file going, history, location history. And you open it up, and in your mind it was empty. Mm. And that's when I said, okay, it was a swamp, and it was a toxic waste dump. And now what you've done is you've just put that new information into that folder, in that file, inside Homebush, inside Sydney Event 2000, and you've closed that filing cabinet. What I've done is I've worked with your hippocampus. I've given you the context for that memory. And so now for the rest of your life, it's stored in the proper part of the library, your, your memory, and you can recall it now. So if I asked you in three weeks' time, hey, what was Homebush before it was the, uh, the Olympic Village, you're going to say it's a toxic waste dump, and you're going to know that because I worked with your hippocampus. But if I just said to you, hey, uh, Homebush was a toxic waste dump, because I'm, I'm, I didn't give you all the context mm. and you weren't really paying attention to the context, you're not going to remember it, but now you will. And that's the way our memory works. If we can uh, fire up context yeah, and then attach new information then you're going to have a strong memory because all memory is new information attached to old information. Now, also, mm -hmm. and we've spoken about this previously, is memory is associated with emotion. Yes. So I can recall where I was during the 2000 Olympics and mm. what I was doing mm. and uh, the... Um, you know, death of Princess Diana, for yes, example. and where and you were at the time. That's right. Mm. Uh, Twin Towers. Yeah, when they came 9 11, that's yep. right. I, and, you know, very strong emotional attachment mm. to that date and that event. Because of the emotion, is it true that memory can then become distorted? It's not accurate okay. because All of right. your so own that's, perception? That's, that's actually two things. So the first thing that emotions and memory glue. Yep. So when there's a large emotion in an event, you remember it. The reason why we do that is because our memories evolve to um, remember danger. Yeah. So yep. we needed to remember things that were dangerous for us. And that's why when there's a large emotional content of a, of a memory, it, it sticks in your memory. It's like glue uh, so that you can remember that event so that you don't repeat it bad mistakes in the past or whatever. Okay, so um, the things that we remember the most are things that have the, a large emotional content and that's for our survival. Now, the thing about our memory, and I at first didn't like learning this and now I kind of do like knowing this. Um, every time we recall a memory, we are rewriting that memory. I say slightly adjusting it. Slightly adjusting it. Mm. So imagine that your your memory is a, a big library, okay? So I ask you to recall a memory. You'll go into your library. You'll take out that book, that memory. You'll open it up, and then you'll start recalling that memory. But in the act of recalling that memory, you are rewriting that memory. And so there's a, there's a study that I've read about. So imagine this. There's a, a study uh, that uh, I think a professor, professor at a university, I, I should know his name, I will find it and try and put it into the show notes if we can. So he, every time there's a big event, he will get a big group of people to come in and 
shortly after the event, they will write down in their own handwriting their experience of the event. So, for example, when 9-11 happened, I think that he also did it when Princess Diana died. So they had to come in and on a piece of paper in their own handwriting, they had to write their experience of what happened on the day, where they were, who they were with, how they felt, all of that sort of stuff. And then a couple of years later, they got them to come back. I think it was a couple of years later, maybe it was even less time. And he said, okay write down your recollection of that day what happened where you were so do the same thing again two years later or however long later then he would give them the original piece of paper hmm. in their own handwriting with their signature on it and say now compare the two and it was hilarious that the people would be reading the second piece of paper the paper that they just wrote on that day and then looking at the original piece of paper that they wrote two years ago going hold on yeah. That's my handwriting, but no, no, that's not what happened. Mm. No, no, I was with this person. No, 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 this is this is what was happening. So in the two years, in the two years between the recording on a piece of paper in their handwriting, what happened? Their memories had been completely rewritten. Some people were in different locations. Some people were with different people. And so what uh, what this study has shown is that every single time we recall a memory, we are rewriting the memory. So your memories, I'm sorry are not accurate. So that would be why accident investigation or police or whatever get you straight away as by yourself. As soon as you can. Yeah. 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 So when there's an accident, the police need to get your, your statement straight away because mm. they know that over time mm. your story is Comes going creative. to be creative and rewritten and you are very, very su suggestible. So, um, yeah, our memories are not accurate and they're not infallible in fact in fact you can rewrite them so now this is the good news mm. right let's just say that you've had trauma in your life you can go back and rewrite it mm. you can rewrite yourself instead of being a victim you can be the hero yeah the perspective completely changes yeah I love which that. means you do not have to walk forward with that negative emotionally damaging debilitating memory you can walk forward a new person you can hold your head up high and say this is what i learned from that experience and you can even change it mm. yeah and convince yourself that it was different to what happened and in fact that is what a lot of people do to survive trauma in the first place yeah they can they suppress memories which isn't necessarily a good thing they suppress memories and rewrite it so that, that it's not as hard to take yeah and so the memory is not accurate i i hate to tell people but at the same time there is maybe some power there that you can rewrite the history of your life don't, absolutely don't lie <laughs> no no that's yeah. right but no that yeah well, thank you so much for that. That's um, so. This is like an interview with you it guys. It was. I, yes. uh, yeah, it's a different sort of podcast. This one. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bring Bollinger. I'm sorry. No, well, Bollinger, where are you? We we called out to you in the first podcast. We're still waiting. We've had a guest turn up with Bollinger, and yeah, uh, yeah we we will be publishing his uh, his podcast soon. But um, all yeah, I've got is water. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bose may have from the previous podcast. Maybe yeah. Bose might want to reach out. That's right. They the haven't yet. No, but, no, you know, no, no, no. More dogs. Checking the emails. More dogs. More dogs. The world would be a better place with more dogs. Absolutely, yes. Yep, that's on our merch, the merch that you <laughs> wonderfully came up with, the T-shirts and um, caps, if you can find them on our website. Captainandtheclown.com. www.captainandtheclown.com. Yes. Yeah, so um, that was a fun podcast. I enjoyed uh, 
telling you about that sort of stuff. That, yeah. That's where I first got into professional development training when I started teaching people about memory and then went to time management, then leadership and all the other things that I taught. And, wow, a long I, time ago and look yeah, where you are now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sitting in a studio talking about memory. <laughs> that's it. Um, and I think what what I love about learning memory first all of those years ago that it underpins all, everything I do. Um, mm. And my job is to put memories into people's heads, which is learning. And so I love the fact that I learned that early on in my career. Fantastic. Mm. Thanks, Guy. Pleasure. Good to see you again, Michelle. Lovely to see you too. Cheers. Bye. Bye. <laughs> well, that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> You're the, such a clown. The clown. Yeah. <laughs> Lady Captain. <laughs> and who's going to listen to this? Maybe our mums. Thanks, mum. <laughs> <laughs>